0: have your Bibles, you can turn it to Matthew chapter 16, and we are going to be reading verses 13 down to verse 19, a very familiar passage of Scripture. But before we get into it, I first off want to thank you for listening. My name is Jake. I'm pastor at Crosspoint Community Church in De Quincy, Louisiana. And uh, what I'm doing right now is a little different than what we normally do. Uh, we had a little problem with our recording on Sunday, so this is not me standing in front of our church preaching, preaching this message, um, but I, we did still see the benefit of uh, of maybe condensing this down a little bit from these texts as we kind of walk through these texts this morning and hopefully still communicating, uh, wanting you to have these truths that that we see that encourage us as a church and encourage me uh, in my walk with the Lord. And uh, you know, this past Sunday on April 14th, we celebrated Palm Sunday. You know, and in the focus of that, we see it in Matthew 21, is is the people welcoming Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem. You know, Hosanna to the Son of David. Just they're seeing fulfillment of prophecy they're seeing fulfillment of uh, of the kingdom of, of Israel what they are in their minds the kingdom of Israel becoming the reigning rule um, you know and we see in the text in Matthew 21 that even the people they they weren't quite sure exactly who he was or who this Jesus is and we see it in verse 11 when the people say well who is this and the crowd said this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so, you know, they call him a prophet. They, they saw him um, not as the the Savior um, that God intended for Jesus to be. You know, they were, they were really looking for this conquering king to elevate them to this place of political power. But in reality, what he came to be was a suffering Savior for the people of God to forgive their sins and to offer a way of salvation. And so, you know, this morning, as we get into Matthew chapter sixteen, we're going to see some characteristics of who Jesus is um, to give us an understanding of some attributes of Jesus and how he how he deals with us and how he calls us and how he leads us into what he has for us. And this is to give us a true understanding of, of who he is, um, and like I said, in how he deals with us and what he has for us as the church today and what how he how he is calling us to be welcoming him and celebrating him and uh, in, in our life. And so uh, as we go on, I'm going to read, start reading in verse 13. Read to verse 19, then I have three things that I hope that we can see, three attributes of Jesus's interaction with his people here that can speak a, a, a conviction, hopefully, into our lives, can challenge us, and can also, most of all, encourage us as we walk in light of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he wants to do with us. So Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Verse 14, And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." And so what I want us to see is three things um, from this text and who Jesus is, who he is, attributes of him and how he deals with his people. And I love this, the first thing being that he is confrontational. And I love that, that when he asks the question, well, who do people say I am? Kind of more of a broad-reaching kind of uh, exterior question. You know, the people around you, who do people say that I am? But then he brings that back down to a more personal, more intentional, more uh, individual level when he says to them, uh, in the plural sense, talking to these individuals, who do you say that I am? You know, in this community in Caesarea Philippi, there would have been, uh, you know, a celebration as as Caesar, the ruler being kind of the God, the son of God, the, the ruler, the the deity that they worshiped. You know, and in this time, in this area in Caesarea Philippi, there would have been a rock facing where there would have been a temple built uh, to worship uh, other gods and multiple gods and, and the ruler Caesar. And so in this culture to acknowledge anybody but these gods or Caesar as God or as son of God or as ruler uh, would have been a countercultural, And so Jesus brings them to this moment to acknowledge who he is, uh, to bring them out from hiding as far as their belief of who Jesus is, confronts them where they are, uh, to help them understand and help us understand that the way we view Jesus drastically affects the way we follow Jesus. You know, how do you see Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a good teacher? Is he a great person, a great moral uh, authority? Is he a great leader? You know, and, and when we say that question, a lot of times we say, well, who is Jesus to you? We, we tend to make it very relative, like where it can be, he can be something different. When in reality, what Jesus is bringing them to is this moment where they can understand and where we can understand who Jesus is does not change that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is uh, the, 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 the sacrifice that, G, that God sent for his people. You know, Because none of these attributes, if, if he were John, if he were Elijah, Jeremiah, even who those were, they were great people, but nothing about them sets them apart any differently than anyone else in history than being uh, faithful people who, who sacrificed, who worked hard for what they believed in, but they were not the Son of God. Uh, they were not the perfect Lamb. They were not uh, uh, God's chosen Son. And in that, They could not do for man what Jesus only could do for man. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe that. That's where salvation comes from. But that He is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Son of God. And I love uh, Peter's response there when he says that you are the Christ, Christ not being Jesus' last name, Christ being the title of Messiah, of Savior, that you are the Savior, the Son of the living God that you are the true God, that he is the Son of God, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, that he is God among us. Uh, and, And then what he says and what he has done has eternal weight that we can't ignore. And so when we answer that question in our own lives, when Jesus confronts us with that, which He does daily, I believe, in in, in in every area of our life. The Bible tells us that He's revealed Himself through nature, God has, and that, that He's made Himself known to us in Ephesians. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and that uh, Paul is telling them in Ephesus that the mystery has been revealed uh, through His Holy Spirit, and that, that God has shown us that, and that our tendency as people is to underestimate who Jesus is, to give Him, we give Him respect and honor, but we fall far short of honoring him for who he really is. You know, I love this quote. It says, If Jesus was not the eternal Son of God, and equal in power and glory with the Father, then let's have done with the talk about Christianity. Because if Jesus is not the Son of God, then everything we do, every Sunday we get together, every prayer we pray, every work that we do, every word of worship that we utter is meaningless if Jesus is not the Son of God and if he did not die on our behalf and rise again to show us that not only had he defeated sin, but he defeated death also. And so Jesus confronts his disciples in this moment with this question, who do you say that I am? And, and I pray that he confronts us daily with that question because we are a forgetful people, a weak people who fall short, and we desperately need Jesus to remind us who he is. That that he is he is different than anybody who has ever existed, that he is the perfect one that lived, that that died for us, that gave himself for us. Hebrews tells us that he is 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 not a high priest that is not far from us or has not experienced life and sin and death and the way that we experience it. That even though he experienced temptation, experienced hurt, he didn't fall to sin, he was sinless, and he gave us that example and gave us that that standard to live by and to follow and to walk through. Not perfectly, because if we could walk it perfectly, we wouldn't need Jesus' a sacrifice. So I'm thankful that he offered that to us, and that if he is God, he is worthy of our worship, and he's worthy of our lives, he is worthy of our obedience. And so the first attribute of Jesus in this moment is that he is confrontational. The second thing that I love from this text is that he is intentional. And I love it whenever he says here in verse 17 that Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. God's intentions for us is to know who He is, that not to guess, not to to try to live in some mysterious uh, fog where we can't quite figure it out, or or we, we have to, you know, there is an element of faith, but God constantly tells us uh, throughout the Bible, and His prophets, and His people, and even Paul himself constantly tells that Jesus, um, ha, that, that God has revealed the truths about who Jesus is, and what His intentions are, all throughout the Scriptures, and what He wants to show us. Galatians 1, Verse 15 through 16, he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, Paul talking about himself, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son to me. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I love that where he's, he says, you know, that the that God saw, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. That when God begins a work in our life, it's not because we sought it out, but because he sought us out. That he began to open our eyes. He began to regenerate our dead spirits and show us his plan for us, to show us that he is calling us, that he is beckoning us to himself, that he's drawing us in his intention, that he is in. Intent- that He reveals Himself to us in His work within us. Romans 1.19 says, for "What For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Any ounce of knowledge or draw we have towards God is because He's revealed it to us, because He's made Himself known to us, because He is intentional in drawing His people in. He is intentional in calling us to Himself. And I'm so thankful that God does that. That that, that, God, uh, that God called out to me in my weaknesses. That God called out to me in my sin. That God opened my eyes to see how faulty I was and how lost I was without Him. And how desperately I needed Him. And that even in my failures through my process of life, through my sanctification, my day-to-day process of growing more and more into the image of Christ that he continues to call out to me, that he continues to reveal things to me. And he can do that for each and every one of us. And he does do that for all who are his. You know, and then continuing on, um, his intentions are revealed even further when he says to Peter, he says I tell you Peter, uh that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And so that that God's intentions, that Jesus's intentions are to build a church. You know, and that God's uh, intentions are to that he will do something and he invites us to be a part of that. That God's intentions are for our participation. That God calls us to participate in the intentions he has for his people and for the great and development of his church and his kingdom on earth and for his own glory and that he invites us to be a part of that task and, and i love continuing on down in verse 18 and he says um and and that that peter is is the rock, and he says, on this rock, you know, and and for me as an individual just growing up, uh, I used to view this scripture very differently, really elevating Peter to this status, this elite status, um, you know, far above any other person, um, that him being the the beginning of, of this uh, secession of church leadership and that type of thing, but for me to finally understand, you know, that Paul uh, that 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 God isn't necessarily elevating this individual, but he's elevating he's he is he is building a church on the confessor on Peter he will use Peter he will use the apostles he will use the things that they will do but not only uh, the confessor the person himself but mostly on the confession of Jesus being the Son of God. That he has come and died for the sins of, of, of broken man. You know, and that, that Peter's elite status isn't what elevate him, but on his faith and on the faith of the church, you know, Peter is speaking on behalf of the other disciples when he says this, and he says that you are the Son of God, that you are the Christ. You know, and so he's speaking on the faith of the church and that that, that we know that Peter didn't see himself as the rock, but he would see himself as as one of many rocks who would be building up the temple of God, the the the, the physical uh, temple of God of of, of his children and of his church here on earth. And and we know that, that the foundation is Jesus. We know that the church is built off of Christ because Paul says it several other times in Scripture when speaking of it. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the rock at which the church is truly built on first starts with the foundation of Jesus Christ. And everything is built off of that. The Ephesians 2.19 says, Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And so Jesus is the initial rock, the rock that the scripture will tell us about, the chief cornerstone that the church is built on and dependent on. And then Ephesians 2, 19, like I said, tells us that the continuous building up that God would use in the New Testament, use the apostles and prophets to continue to grow his church, leading to us being a part of that even today as Gentiles, we individuals, not being born of Jewish descent, but being people that God has invited into this process. In First Peter 2, 5, that you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we participate in that building, that we are being built up, as it says in that verse, to do the things that he called Peter to do, that he called the apostles to do, the prophets to do, that we would be participating in the building up of the spiritual house of God's kingdom and temple on earth, and that we get to participate in that. So the tools he uses are us and our confessions and our willingness to obedience and walking in step. And then he also says in verse 19, he says, "'I will give you the keys.'" you know and it's kind of this idea that there's a master of the house that still has rule but there's there's one that has keys that facilitates entry that he doesn't choose who enters but he facilitates entry and so this is in in Peter's context and even in our context when it's you know this is us participating by sharing the gospel for Peter sharing the gospel with the Jews and it says that he would be binding or bringing people in uh, what is uh, bound in heaven uh, would be what is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven and then he says that is loosening, you know. And this idea of loosening is that understanding there will be a sense of people who uh, will be alienated or be excluded because of the rebellion and rejection of that very gospel. And and, and these things we know, in Ephesians tells us, are set uh, before the foundations of the earth. And so what uh, God Jesus is telling Peter here is that you get to actively be participating in those things that are bound in heaven and that are loosed in heaven. That you'll see those things played out in in on earth. That you'll see the Things be bound on earth that are bound in heaven, and things loosed on earth that are loosed in heaven, and then you get to actively participate in that work. And Peter's work in Acts, we see that, and Paul's work in his epistles, as he writes to the church, we see that, and that the keys for us are the gospel, the good news of Christ, that we've been given. And Matthew says uh, those those jobs that we have all through it. Matthew four nineteen that we are fishers of men. Matthew five that we are the light to the world. Matthew 10 that we are witnesses who proclaim the message of the kingdom to the people. Matthew 28 he says that you are going to all nations making disciples baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so God has given us a task and God has given us tools whether it's on our confession and our faithfulness to walk or it's and it's also His word and it's the gospel that He's equipped us with and our testimony to be able to walk into the world around us and share this truth and to help see people brought into the family of God and that he his intentions are for our participation in that. And then moving into our last uh, our last point. Uh, you know, seeing God's intentions, his confrontation, his intentions for us. And in this, the main thing, you know, helping us understand specifically what, as we see him deal with Peter here, that God's faithfulness is greater than our failures. And so the last attribute of Jesus is that he is graceful in this moment. Because of the very fact that Jesus is speaking into Peter's life right now is amazing and it shows God's graciousness towards us because we would know even right after this in Matthew 16, when Jesus starts to talk about the fact that he will die and these types of things that, that Peter doubts it, that Peter pulls him aside and begins to rebuke Jesus for his plan. Because, of, and you know, and we know Jesus having the foreknowledge of what uh, he was going to accomplish and what he was going to do. And then the Peter to have the audacity or the pride to be like, Jesus, that's not how it's going to be. Uh, Peter doubts Jesus. You know, he doubts his plan. Uh, John 18, we see that Peter reacts in fear and anger, uh, um, as he cuts the ear off of one of the ones coming to arrest Jesus you know because he's doubting, he's questioning he's fearful, you know he's weak. Galatians 2 we see um, Paul rebuke Peter for being a hypocrite for saying he's not going to eat with the uncircumcised and, and and he's leading other people to be that way and Paul calls him out. you know and so Peter uh, was faulty. Peter made mistakes. Peter had failures. Peter was weak. you know and then in Matthew 26, one of the most well-known failures of Peter. You know, it says that he, uh, that Jesus had come to him and Jesus had said, Hey, look, you're going to deny me. And, and Peter had said, No, 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 no. I would never deny you, Jesus. You know, these other guys may deny you. These other guys may leave you. But Jesus tells him, you know, he says that, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And then, then the rooster will crow. You know, Jesus predicted this. And Jesus, knowing this, knowing Peter's failures, knowing where he was going to fall short, Despite his habitual mistakes, Jesus still sees him worthy of the confrontation. Worthy of participating in his intentions. And this is all by means of God's graceful love. You know, because in Matthew 26, we see Peter faced with three opportunities to boldly stand for Christ, and he doesn't. And the rooster crows, just as Jesus said. You know, Jesus knows his weakness, Guys, Jesus knows our weakness. Jesus, God knows where we're gonna fail. God knows where we're gonna where we're gonna fall short. God knows those opportunities of sin that we will partake in. God knows the failures that we're gonna live in. And so for Peter in this moment, you know the the rooster crowing in this moment, uh, it, 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 it's, it it signifies two things. Not only the confrontation and the intentions, um, because you know for Peter to hear that rooster crow and immediately be reminded of the things that Jesus said, it signified Peter's weakness. For him, he recognized his failure. He recognized where he felt where he fell short, and where he was prideful. And he immediately felt guilt for that, and he was shamed for that. But what also what I believe that rooster crow moment meant, and I, and, and I truly believe that Jesus' in, in, intentions in this, were that the rooster crow also signifies the breaking of a new day. That this rooster crowing not only acknowledged Peter's weakness because of his experience and his information that he knew from Jesus, but it was also the beginning of a new day. And we know that God's Word tells us that His mercies are new every day. We know that God's mercy is not getting what we deserve, and that God's grace is getting what we don't deserve. And so what Peter was going to experience is he was going to experience the mercy of God. When Jesus had every reason to turn His back on Him, because that's what Peter did to Him, Peter turned His back on Him, Peter denied Him. But Jesus didn't. Jesus actually sought him out. And we see in John 21 where Jesus would say, Do you love me? Then then participate in my intentions. He would confront him and ask him, Do you love me? Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Then tend for my sheep or care for or look after. Then he would say, Do you love me? Then feed or provide for my sheep. And so Peter, uh, Jesus steps into this moment and, and he asked, he confronts Peter with intentions to reveal his graceful love for Peter. To to cover up the, the sin that Peter had done against Jesus. That, that God, that Jesus stepped into this moment and he confronted Peter. Because he loved him. He shared his intentions with Peter. And he was graceful to continue to invite Peter in. And to love Peter and encourage Peter and still work and build his kingdom and supply Peter with the tools he needed to do the work that he had for him. And so despite Peter's mistakes, he was still inviting him in to participate. I love this quote from John Piper that redemption is not perfection. The redeemed must realize their imperfections. You know, because God has invited us in. He confronts us where we are with the question, who do you say that I am? He lays out His intentions for us to build His church, to use the tools that He's given us. And then in spite of our failure and weakness, and even in some ways because of our weakness, God chooses us. He says that He'll use the weak to shame the strong, that he, in our weakness that we are strong because we depend on Him through the power of God, through the, the resurrection power that lives in the believer who puts their faith in Jesus for salvation, uh, for 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 support, for love, in ways that we can't find anywhere else in this world. That Jesus has laid that before us because He confronts us, He has intentions for us, and He has graceful love to pour over us. And one more quote from John Piper, I love this one. The gospel is not a theory. The gospel is not a philosophy or an idea. The gospel is not a way of thinking or feeling. The gospel is an event in history. And from that event in history, our lives can be set on a trajectory to drastically change and be different because of the confrontation of Jesus, because of the intentions of God through Jesus Christ for those who would believe, and because of the graceful love that He pours over His broken, fallen people to grow His church, to see the lost be saved, to see the blind be given sight, to see us truly walk in the life that God has made for us. You know, and so the challenge that I gave to our church, and the challenge I'll give to you, is these three things: that you would respond to the confrontation; that as Jesus asks you this question, maybe you're not even sure what the question, the answer is. Maybe you're not a hundred percent confident in in this answer but as he says you know it confronts you whether it's in church whether it's in your car and your commute to work whether it's in a situation with your family or wherever it's at we we all have these moments and sometimes maybe it's even the most random moments where jesus confronts us and and asks us this very question who do you say i'm who am i who am i to you you know that we would respond and even if it's in doubt even if it's in if it's in question that we would seek Him in the midst of those doubts. We would seek Him in the midst of those questions and allow Him to reveal Himself to us. Because we, 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 He wants to do that. Rely, and the second thing being that we rely on His intentions. And His intentions are for us to participate. Are for us to see that He wants to build a church on our faith, no matter how small, no matter how big. He wants to build a church on our faithfulness and our obedience to walk in in according to His calling and His commands. And then the last thing being that we would rest in His grace, that we wouldn't allow our failures to define us, that we wouldn't allow our weaknesses to be the things that motivate us and drive us, but we would be motivated and driven by His grace and His mercy and His love for us as individuals who are a part of a fallen, broken humanity, that Jesus left the throne of God to come to take on flesh as a broken human being, experience the emotions we experienced, experience the pain we experienced willingly, humbly submitting himself to his human form, to suffer as we suffer so that he can love us truly and give himself for us wholly. And God loves us so much whenever we see the intentions that he has for his people. And how much He gave for us. He gave Himself for us on a cross. As we all celebrate in Easter this coming Sunday, that Jesus died and He rose again. He defeated death and He gave us that example to show us that we don't have to be defeated by death. That we can stop living like victims and start walking as victors in the work of Jesus Christ and His righteousness and His work and not my own. That we respond to the confrontation, we rely on His intentions, and we rest in His grace. And we would know that nothing can pull us out of that grace. Nothing can change that. I love uh, the, the saying that, you know, that there's nothing I can do to make Him love me more, and there's nothing I can do that can make Him love me less. That when I have put my faith in Christ, when I am in Jesus, uh, uh, adopted into the family of God, that I am sealed for all eternity, and that I can enjoy His grace for the rest of my life. And I would just like to pray for you, and we'll be done. Lord, I, I thank you for your grace, God, I, and I, I thank you that for your for for your confrontation, Lord. The way that you interact with us, God, the way that you challenge us. God I'm so thankful for for that and Lord I just want to ask you to to bless those um Lord through, throughout the world God in our community here in De Quincy in our state in our country in our world God that are that are trying to walk according to to your ways God to walk according to your will Lord and God, sometimes we're afraid of the confrontation, God, and sometimes we're afraid of the intentions that you have for us, Lord. And, and God, if we could just really rest in your grace, God, that, then we would embrace the confrontation, God, and we would embrace your intentions because we would know that these things are not in our own strength but in yours, and you have so much that you want to do with us, God. If we would just submit ourselves and surrender our lives wholly to you. God, I just pray for courage. God, I pray for strength. God, I pray for those who don't know you. God, who aren't walking, uh, Lord, as children of yours. Uh, God, I pray that they would see that salvation comes only through you. God, that, that that it's in confidence in you. It's in trusting in your sacrifice on the cross, paying that debt. Lord, I pray that they would rest in that. God, I just pray your blessing over them. God, we love you. Thank you. and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.